Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. In just a week, I went from this moment where all my dreams came true to sitting in a wheelchair and wondering what the heck was going to be next. Mesdames et Messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Oh! You can do it! You can do it! Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant! But that is an Olympic champion. Ready? Hello and welcome to Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympic fans. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Hello, Allison. How are you today? Hello. I'm here. <laughs> I know. That's what I feel. It's been so nice outside. We're in the general area where we live and I just, I just want to go play. You know. Well, there you go. You can go try a new sport. <laughs> Hashtag and, OFOD. <laughs> uh, hashtag and we'll be all set. <laughs> That's right. That is uh, in June 20th, the IOC celebrates Olympic Day. So we are going to have our own Olympic Fever Olympic Day celebrations where up until like June 24th, try a sport, learn something about the Olympics, post it online, post pictures, post video, hashtag OFOD, and share your Olympic Day adventures with us. I'm excited. I still haven't figured out what to do, but I'm I excited. I have a few things planned for this week that are that are going to be coming oh. that are going to be posted. Oh, oh, I'm excited. Well, we will leave that <laughs> a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you something. Once you see them, you cannot unsee them. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. All right. Well, I will come up with something for Olympic fever, Olympic day. I, you got to do more than one. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, it's a whole month. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do something. I'll do many things. I'll do some things. I just got to think about what to do. Did you try new sports? Can I ask no. that? No. Did you learn new things? Uh, no, I... What I... did you do? Buy a, have somebody buy you a steak and call that an Olympic value? <laughs> No, let's just say I've been cleaning out my house. <gasps> oh, and there are Olympic surprises. And I found uh, a few old treasures. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Yes. Oh, well, that motivates me to get on. <laughs> that motivates me to get on it. But, and speaking of motivation, 
Today, we have Emily Cook on the show. You might remember uh, Emily from episode 11, Watch for the Aerial Hurricane. Emily is currently a coach with the U.S. Aerials program, but before that, she was a six-time U.S. champion and a... And an Olympian, she competed in three games in 2006, 2010, and 2014, but she could have been at four. She qualified for the 2002 games in her hometown of Salt Lake City, and then a disastrous injury struck. Our contributor, Ben Jackson, talked with her about that injury and her comeback last fall, so here's that part of their conversation. I want to ask you about your Olympic experience, and you've been, you know, as a competitor, You've been at 2006, 2010, and 2014, right? So Italy, Vancouver, and Sochi. Do you have sort of a favorite Olympic memory or experience? I mean, you're probably asked that all the time, but is there something that kind of stands out in in those experiences? Oh, there's so many. Um, I'll try to pick one or two for you. For sure, uh, for me, my Olympic journey was, was, it was an interesting one because, I went to those three, but I, I also had I also had the chance to qualify in 2002. So that was, to me, the start of that Olympic journey. So in 2002, I was 23. I'd been in the sport for about 10 years. At about 13, I had declared I wanted to go to the Olympic Games. And from then, I was obsessed with the sport. And at 23, I qualified for my first games um, on New Year's Eve in Deer Valley, in my hometown in Park City, getting ready for the hometown games in Salt Lake City. And uh, it was, oh my gosh, it was the most amazing experience in the world, you know, standing on the podium at that Olympic trial and knowing that I would be able to represent my country in my hometown at my first Olympic Games was just a completely overwhelming experience. And then, um, you know, as an athlete, you qualify for the Games and then you go on and you continue training. And so I went to Lake Placid, New York, where it all began, where I first started my own training um, in the sport, where I took my first jump on a water ramp into the pool and uh, took my next training jump. And um, that week, I it was bad weather, and I took a jump and actually landed on the knoll or the flat part of the hill and uh, shattered both of my feet. And so, you know, in just a week, I went from this moment where all of my dreams came true to sitting in a wheelchair and wondering what the heck was going to be next. So, you know, just, just shattering that, that Olympic dream for myself in just such a short time. So, you know, the interesting thing about that is that we, we share spots across genders and I had the chance to call a teammate and let him know that he was going to be the one to take my spot in the 2002 game. So I called him up and I let him know, and, you know, we both cried on the phone, but it was a really close friend of mine. So I went to the Salt Lake games and, I ended up watching the Olympics there and, you know, sat in a wheelchair in the front row and cheered on my teammates and really got to experience those games and you know, spent a lot of time with my teammates there and um, learned a lot about the Olympics and, you know, of course, vowed that I would be at the next ones with my teammates. Um, so how do spent, you, let me ask about that. I mean, how do you yeah, go course. from, gee, uh, that's an injury. It sounds ridiculously painful, number one. Yeah. But but number two, I mean, just in terms of, you know, you're right there on the cusp and, and you overcame all of that and you came back. I mean, how did how talk about that process of overcoming that obstacle? Yeah, you know, it was um it was incredibly challenging. It was uh you know, the 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 one thing that kept me going were the people around me. 
you know, every time that, that I wanted to, you know, sit down and not go to physical therapy that day, I had just incredible teammates around me that, you know, reminded me that my, my dream was to go and that, you know, my only option was to get up and go to physical therapy that day. And, you know, breaking both feet is not ideal in an Olympic year, obviously, but, um, you know, the, the only chance or the only, the only choice was to take that next step forward and not look four years ahead, but look at, you know, the next step, the next day, the next, um, moment, the next hour. And, you know, I would say, I would say during those years of rehab, um, because that's what it ended up taking. It actually ended up taking three years to get back to jumping during those three years. I developed who I was as an athlete and as a person, um, you know, I learned how to overcome challenges, how to overcome stress, um, basically how to overcome everything that I would need in order to to get back to become an Olympian again. And, um, you know, who was in my corner as well, who was, who was there to support me. So, so yeah, three years, three years of, of, of rehab, three years of physical therapy and all those tiny little steps of like learning to walk in a pool, learning to walk on, on, uh, on the ground, learning to ski again, jumping again. And, uh, one year before Torino, um, I got back on snow and uh, it was awesome. It was so good to be back with my teammates. And though, you know, every little step was scary and challenging and hard, um, it was the best feeling in the world. And so that was that was what I was leading up to. Um, for me, the opportunity to walk into the opening ceremonies of the Torino Olympics was absolutely 100% the most amazing Olympic moment that I can point back to. You know, walking in with my teammates that had supported me over the last you know, four years of that journey was for sure the best Olympic memory that I have of my career. So yeah, it was awesome. And then my whole family came to Torino, aunts and friends and um, my dad. And it was just, it was such a fun time. And they all stayed in this little Italian village and um, had an incredible time together. And, uh, you know, for me, just having the chance to finally represent my country after Four years of, of working to get there was was an incredible experience. I mean, more than four years, like 14 years at that point. It was it was an awesome experience. And then, you know, of course, as we discussed, I had the chance to uh, represent Team USA at two other Olympic Games going forward from there. But I would say those, yeah, those three years of of uh, working through that injury was definitely was definitely that character building part that you think about when you think about an Olympian. And when you think about the the things that that kind of got you through, I mean, do do you have a secret or or a, I don't know a hint for somebody who might be struggling with something that they could sort of that you learned in that experience that could help somebody else kind of get through their own their own trouble? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's um, the the biggest thing for me, and you know, it may it may sound so simple, just as like silly. It sounds so simple, but you know, for me, it was just what's important now. You know, like in that moment, what what was important in the moment, and it was it was easy sometimes to get overwhelmed by looking at the big picture. Um, you know, for sure, there's like you know, people often ask, you know, you're when I go and do talks for schools or something like that, you stand at the front of the room and people look at you and say, like, how did you stay motivated every day? You know, my answer to that is always I didn't. I was not motivated every moment, every morning when I woke up. I was not motivated in every moment. Um, 
you know, oftentimes I wasn't motivated to go to the gym. You know, you don't, people just are not inherently motivated. <laughs> it's just not our, not in our nature. I don't think, you know, sometimes right. for sure we are, but you know, there's like, there's this, there's this um, misconception maybe that, you know, your Olympians or your, um, you know, incredibly successful people are, are different than everybody else. But that's, that's not the case. You know, it's not that we are, we're motivated or we're inspired all the time. Certainly there are tricks to stay motivated or inspired. You can put like little notes around your room or you can put out your running shoes the night before. Those are great tips. Um, but you know, when it comes down to it, it comes down to a couple other things. It comes down to um, commitment, right? It comes down to doing what you said you would do because you said you would do it. And it also comes down to support. So, you know, when you can't count on your own word, you know, every once in a while, you're like, I just can't do it. Then it comes down to that you've surrounded yourself with people who um, count on you to be the person that you said you are, right? So surrounding myself with people that I had told I was going to do something, that I was going to be an Olympian at the next Olympics, that was really important as well. So you know, my teammates and my coaches and my family, I had trained them all to relate to me as that person, right? That person that showed up for training, that person that you know, was always there five minutes early, that person that was always doing one extra set. Um, you know, once you train the people around you to relate to you as that person, then they're surprised when you're not that person and they're alarmed when you're not that person, right? And then they call you on not being that person, right? So if you, you know, that morning that you're not motivated or inspired and you can't count on your own commitment because every once in a while you're gonna, you know, you're not gonna be able to rely on yourself to be fully 100% committed. You've got someone else to pull you up. Um, that's accountability, right? So, you know, it may sound simple, but you know, one step at a time, you know, four years is a long time. Eight years is even longer. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. you know, you look at, look at that huge, big goal. Everyone knows how to set goals. Um, if you don't, it's you know pretty easy to find on the internet or to find someone who can be a mentor to teach you how to do that. But, you know, taking things one step at a time is super important. Um, a long-term goal is something that's, that's really awesome to keep you inspired and motivated, but, you know, being committed and finding someone to help you to be accountable to that commitment is, I think, the, the most important thing for sure. And finding a good support system to keep you accountable is, um, those are, those are some of the biggest things that I learned in those, in those couple of years where I was injured. Yeah, no, that's, that's, I think that's really useful to hear. I mean, you know, we, we do, I think, I've had the good fortune of, of meeting you and, and some other Olympians. Mm -hmm. We do have this kind of, I think, pedestal thought about, you know, gee, these are Olympic athletes. They must be superheroes in, in many ways. And in many <laughs> ways, quite frankly, to me, you are. I would I can't see myself flying through the air like you do. Um, we do fly sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> we also we also do uh, we also do adhere to gravity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's the law. So <laughs> let me ask you this too about yeah. the the other Olympics. So how different yeah. was it to go from Torino to you know? to Sochi, for example, like, mm -hmm. were there a lot of differences in, in the feel of these games or in the venues or in, in that kind of thing? I would say the biggest difference is, um, was for me in my mental approach to them, for sure. Um, in Torino, I was just super excited to just go and participate. I was like, I'm here. 
I'm so excited. This is amazing. Um, you know, for me, just the participation part was was why I was there. In Vancouver, I wanted to get better. I wanted to make a final, um, and that's what I did. And, um, you know, going from Vancouver to Sochi, I had a different perspective. Um, from Vancouver to Sochi, it was no stone left unturned. The only reason that I went from Vancouver to Sochi was to know that I had done absolutely everything in preparation and that I was going for a medal. There was nothing else I wanted to go for. And, you know, when I left Sochi, um, I walked away without a medal. And I'm not going to lie, that was disappointing. But what I did know in Sochi, um, when I skied to the bottom of the course in Sochi, I stopped, I looked around, and I took a deep breath, and I wasn't upset. I knew that between Vancouver and Sochi, there was absolutely not one thing that I would have done differently. And that sense of, of accomplishment and of pride and of just knowing that there was nothing I would have done differently is something that you can walk away from and just be okay with. And so, you know, for me, I walked away. I walked over to my family and to, um, you know, a couple of people that I was very close with. And I remember giving someone a big hug and they said, are you okay? And I said, I am. And she kind of held me back at arm's length and looked me in the eye and she was like, you are okay. I was like, I am. And she was like, oh, my gosh, okay, cool. Because, you know, I think they expected me to be really upset and incredibly disappointed. And, again, yes, I was disappointed. I, I went there for a medal. But I was okay. And there's a difference between, you know, being disappointed and being being not okay, you know. Right. Um, so so I, I walked away from Sochi. I walked away okay. I walked away ready for what was next. Um, I knew I was retired at that point. I knew I was done jumping. I knew I would never take another jump again. And I walked away okay. I had had a 20-year career in the sport, and I knew that I had done what I came to do. So, you know, for me, those are those are three really different Olympic Games. Um, and, uh, you know, I had fun in a different way at all of them, for sure. Um, and I walked away from Sochi, and I was okay, and I knew that I was ready for what was next. So I walked away from there, and literally the next day I was like, okay, what's next? And I went on a search for what was next and what I could do with my life next that I was going to be passionate about and I was going to love and was going to make as much difference in my life and in other people's lives as Ariel's did. And so now you're coaching. Uh -huh. um, you said you weren't ever going to take another jump, but do you ever like, you don't ever like just go down the run while you're coaching once or twice and, or go down yeah, no. into the pool? <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. I love skiing. Let's we'll distinguish those two things. I ski harder than I ever skied. You know, I was always, when I was jumping, I was always very cautious about the other things that I did because I, had no no willingness to be injured doing something else, uh, so I ski I ski harder than I ever skied before. But no, I have the aerials is very specific. You have to be in very very good shape. You have to be incredibly strong and um, very well trained. And I, I just nope don't want to <laughs> did it done happy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for sure, a lot of the athletes on the team were former teammates of mine and they definitely laugh at that they think it's funny but i definitely do not have any intention of taking a jump ever again um you know maybe like a single on the water ramp someday if like people are jumping that i wanted to jump with or something but um and i mean not athletes just you know people for fun but i'm i will i won't ever do any of the jumps that i competed with yeah. um i'm good happy done 
great. <laughs> but I love skiing. I'll ski for the rest of my life. I will ski until until the day I am done playing on this earth. <laughs> and I wanted to ask, too, so talking a little bit about what's next, you're also doing some work with, with Skull Candy. Yeah, so I worked with Skull Candy for two years, um, okay. and I ran their uh, their Sport and Human Potential Lab. It was awesome. It was a great project for me to work um, with Skull Candy on. I had the chance to work with a lot of amazing athletes. Um, one of the ones, one of the projects that I loved working on was with a uh, former Navy SEAL, um, Andy Stump, and he broke a world record for longest wingsuit flight, and. Uh, contributed to the um, Navy SEAL Foundation in doing so. That was that was so much fun. So I got to learn a ton about physiology and high performance while I was doing that. And it's definitely something that's contributed to my coaching as well. So super fun project with those guys. Um, I love the high performance world and definitely will continue working in it for as long as possible. And any other thoughts about how, like, the rest of us people can become more high performance in what we do Any you know, sort of every day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, it's just about finding um, finding a goal, finding something you're passionate about. And it's similar to the conversation that we had earlier. It's, um, you know, you find that one thing that, that makes you tick and pursuing it, whether it's, yeah, whether it's something active or whether it's learning to play an instrument or, you know, just, just find something that makes you tick right now i'm learning to play the guitar very very slowly um that to me is as high performance as anything else um i ran a half iron man ran swam bike to half iron man um about a year ago as well so it's just to me it's just always finding a way to challenge yourself doing something different than you, you would do before whether it's challenging your mind or challenging your body um you know always finding something to 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 push your body to push your mind that to me is high performance and you know, it's, it's, it's personal. It's different for everyone. Some people aren't into doing something that pushes their body, which is, you know, you know, to me totally fine. But I, I find that I function better and I find that this works for most people in the world when you find something to challenge yourself. And, um, again, it's, you're not going to be motivated and inspired all the time to do it because it's hard. But when you're done with it, even if it's that daily practice, you are going to have some satisfaction in that. And I honestly think it makes every one of us better every day to have that. So if you can't count on that inspiration daily by putting up reminders or putting up, you know, pictures of people that inspire you to do that thing every day, find some people around you that will help keep you accountable that will also benefit from you doing something like that. I don't know, take a cooking class, um, you know, read a new book, something like that. Uh, you know, for me, that's super important. So I try to pick something new up every year. Or so I think it's, you know, for me, not working towards competing in an Olympic Games myself, having a little something is is really important to me. Thank you so much, Ben. That was really interesting. It's always interesting to hear how people come back. From I injury. don't know how she even right? contemplated coming back. But we've we've said this before, the difference between the really good club athlete, the really good college level athlete is injury and how they come back from injury. I can't right. even imagine. And mindset. And you know what I thought was really cool was how she wanted to get a medal. And obviously, I think 
all Olympians want to get the medal. Everybody wants to get an Olympic medal. But the fact that she didn't do it, and as she knew she didn't do it, she was okay with it. She, like, got that mindset to figure out what what to be okay with, how to be okay with it, and move on. It was really interesting. Right. Yeah, I, she was great to listen to. And just that it's not totally in their control. Right. You know, she knew she she put down the best she could. You can't control what all the other athletes do. You can't control in her sport what the judges do. Right. But it but, was... Yeah, she controlled everything she could and laid it all out on the table. And the, the results are what they are. And it's really... Comforting is not the right word I want to, want to say, but maybe it is comforting to hear like the level of maturity and acceptance that went along with that. Yes. I mean, that doesn't sound. And now she's a coach and she's mm-hmm. passing that on, which is even better. Yes. And I because love. Because she's clearly got the right set mm-hmm. of skills for these right. kids. Right. And it was exciting. We saw her on the hill at Pyeongchang. She was the last person they talked to when before they went down. So that was really cool. And I'm really excited to see what her athletes do coming up in the next over the next few years. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, Emily, for sitting down with us. And uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, we have something exciting, Allison. I am so excited about our new segment. We are starting an Olympic fever book club. Should we bring a jello salad? We could, we could, maybe, maybe we get little stickers that say, oh, this book club, you know, like the Oprah book club, but it'd be Olympic fever book club that we can put on all the titles because they will, you know, likely be a surge in sales. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) But this is, this is really cool because there are so many great books about the Olympics and different stories in the Olympics. And this will be our opportunity for us to read them together And then we can talk about them. And I think even better is that we have somebody new in the Olympic Fever family who's going to work with us on this project. And that is our new contributor, Claire Natsis. Claire is the writer behind the Olympics blog, Light the Cauldron. And that's at blurbmusings.blogspot.com. And now, for our purposes, she is Book Club Claire. And we're, we sat down and t- talked with her a couple weeks ago about her first book selection. And then stay tuned because after this, we've got a special offer for you too. Allison, are you, I'm excited about this. I think we need music for it. Like we need special book club music. Like do, 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 do. Getting on that. I will get on that. <laughs> Olympic Fever Book Club. Anyway, but the cool thing about this is that we have a new contributor to the show, and that is Claire Natsis, who will be running our book club. Claire is the voice behind Light the Cauldron, a blog and a Twitter feed, which is located at blurbmusings.blogspot.com. Claire, welcome to Olympic Fever, and thank you so much for being our book club. Actually, we're calling you Book Club Claire, so... I like that. That sounds really cool. I can take that. Sure. We have super fan Sarah, and now we have book club Claire. Sweet. Excellent. So, book club Claire, what is our first title? Uh, Well, I had a free Audible credit, and I was looking for something to do and to read, and I thought, why not do an Olympic book because it's an Olympic year? And I was researching, and I just typed in Olympic book. And the first thing that popped up was this book called The Boys in the Boat. Well, 
that's that's only part of the title. This is the full title. The Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics by Daniel James Brown. And I downloaded it, and I was going on a long trip out east, and I listened to the entire thing on my trip, and I loved it. It was just the best book, and it really kept me interested in the entire story. And when you guys suggested the book club, it was the first book I thought of. I'm excited. I have heard this book is really good, so I'm glad to have that report from you. What else can you tell us about the book? Well, as the long, long title says, it is um, kind of revolved around uh, the Great Depression and how these college students from the University of Washington come together to form the varsity rowing team at their school, and it's a prestigious rowing club. They come together and they create this group. That's why they call it the boys in the boat, because the boat is so important to bring them all together. And then all of a sudden, the Olympic trials come up and their coach says, hey, we're going to try this. And they do. And they go to the Olympics. And then you get to hear about all of the things that happen while they're in Germany. And you know, that's Hitler's Olympics, uh, the ones that he tried to really say, we are the best my ideas are the best and everybody kind of came in jesse owens for example came in and then kind of said you're wrong and these boys come in and they totally win against their the german boat and it really was kind of a come out of nowhere story because you've got these these national teams that have been training for a while and then you got these kids from a college in Washington that's been suffering from the depression and they come in and they, they spoiler alert, they win gold. <laughs> spoiler alert. That's like 80 years in the making or something like that. Yeah. I think the, the time frame on knowing the results for that, you know, if you haven't DV- watched your DVR on the 1936 Olympics, too bad for you. If you wanted to, they do have a couple of documentaries. I know Netflix, I believe, has one. PBS put out one about these guys. But I say stay away from them until you've read the book because it gives you a lot more to enjoy the how Brown writes this book. He does a really great job not just giving you cut and dry. This is when they did the regatta against the University of California, and then they won, and then they did this, and then they won. He uses what I think I, I read somewhere. It's called narrative nonfiction. And he has done so much research about those times in Seattle that he can kind of say, okay, it's the first day of classes and these college students, they're all sitting on the lawns and they're reading their papers about the results of the World Series and how it was raining yesterday. And like he he was looking up like, when did the sun rise and sunset in Seattle on these days wow. in 1934? Yeah, it and he will use that to really help you set the scene. So read the book instead of watching these documentaries first because you can paint a picture yourself instead of just kind of seeing, oh, that's what they look like. And I just loved it. It was it was amazing to see. It was I'm, amazing I'm, to <laughs> it was amazing to read, sorry. <laughs> I'm excited for two reasons. Number one, I love books with subtitles. I tend to <laughs> love a book that has a subtitle. And he's, he might be a long-lost cousin because he's okay. a brown, too. Oh, yes. 
There you go. I am excited because I actually have a client who listed this as one of his favorite books of uh, as of late, but liked it for business reasons. And it was more like the way the team comes together. He didn't want to spoil too much for me, but he's like the, the way these, these people who they have to work together and it's all about how to be a good teammate. And if you have somebody who's not a good teammate, they just can't make the team overall and the, the crew. So it that, that to me is also interesting beyond the, how do you overcome the struggles of life basically in order to be successful as an Olympian? That is a great point, and he is very right on the team-building aspect of it. The The story centers around Joe Rance, and you hear a lot about his life and how it builds up and how he goes through a lot of trials. And I won't say what, but you can see how it all comes together. And there's a lot of times as the crews are getting sorted out on the teams by their coaches – that, you know, he kind of feels like he doesn't fit in too much. But then all of a sudden near the end, there's there's a revelation and it kind of helps to, to unify the team. So I can definitely see where your friend is coming from. Cool. I'm excited. Oh. All right. So this is how book club is going to work, at least as of this episode, because we may figure out how to do stuff as, as time goes on. But what we're going to do is... Go out and get the book. This has been out for a while, so it's readily available at the library, and it's on. Uh, you can get audiobooks as well. And I must I must mention that if you would like, it is the dulcet tones of a one Edward Herman who played Papa Gilmore on the Gilmore Girls. That was the best listen. It was just it was awesome. Oh. I loved it. Oh, Ed. Oh, he just the audiobook. Yes. Oh. Allison got really excited. I did. So (laughs) relaxed. You're like, oh, this is this is who I want narrating everything from now on. Just narrate my life. Wow. Okay. Well, another selling point. So we'll have links to things on our website, and we'll post stuff on Twitter and Facebook as well. We are looking to talk about the book and what we thought about it, and we want to hear what you're thinking about it as well. So tweet at us on Facebook and email us, and. We'll get things together and have Claire back uh, at for our first show in August. So you've got a couple of months to read this, and that's exciting. We are going to pair this with our rowing episode, and I, I got to tell you, we are, we are a mixed bag on rowing. I am really excited. Allison's a little apprehensive because the two of us will be getting into a boat with Rio gold medalist Tessa Gabo, who is on the eight-woman uh, crew team for the United States. So how cool is that? <laughs> how cool is it, Allison? <laughs> I'm jealous. Thinks it's cool because I think I'm going to drown in the Charles River. <laughs> you will not drown. Everything will be safe. We're, that boat is not tipping over because we'll have a recorder on that. <laughs> that recorder is not going into the water. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> she will guard it with her life. I am not designed for rowing. Is the problem. Rowers are tall, lanky, all arms and legs. Yeah, but this is good because rowers should also be about the same height, and we're close. We're both short, so that'll be a good boat for us. I'm going in the water. I'm telling you. Not going in the water. Not going in the water. Please send a picture if she does go in the water. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there will be plenty of pictures. 
Okay. It's not helpful, Claire. All right. I'll, I'll get on a kayak sometime this summer and, and see how you feel. I, I will be coming at you, you know, what do you say? Sending my love over the airwaves. <laughs> Tele- telepathy. Telepathically. Yes. All right. Well, Book Club Claire, thank you so much. We are so excited. I am so looking forward to reading this book. And we are looking forward to having all of you listeners join in with this project. And we will keep reading books throughout the year. And we'll do one every couple of months and work through some really interesting Olympic stories. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm literally looking forward to it. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. I am excited. Are you excited, Allison? I am. I love, well, I love books, obviously. Because mm-hmm, we were and both librarians at one point exa- in time. Exactly. And it's fun. It's fun to talk about books. And I have not read a lot of Olympic books, surprisingly enough. Okay. I've read a lot of athlete biographies, but not in the sort of Olympic history field. Mm-hmm. So this will be different for me, too. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, excited. I'm also excited to, like, check some books off my shelf that I've purchased and haven't read and hopefully Claire will choose them but we shall see but this is I've heard this is a good book and I'm really excited about it so I think it's going to be a great one to start off with and if you would like to hear the smooth stylings of Edward Herman as we talked about who does the yes. audiobook version of this you can hear him reading The Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans, and their epic quest for gold at the 1936 Olympics. You can do so for free at Audible. Sign up for a free 30-day trial at www.audibletrial.com slash olimfever, and you will get a free audiobook download that you can use for Boys in the Boat or any one of their 180,000-plus titles. And if you go through our link at www.audibletrial.com slash olimfever, you will be helping to support our show as well, which we would greatly appreciate. So check out the we link. Are a, we are a fan of Audible books in my house. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm very excited to try Listen, this because I love we... podcasts. So I haven't I haven't really gotten into audiobooks, but I think this is a good opportunity. Well, in my house where you have to block out all noise, mm-hmm. I listen and read at the same time sometimes. Oh, really? It's like dual input. Oh, so that's really kind of interesting. Oh, yeah. we should try that. Yeah. It, it, and if you have any, you know, when the headphones are on, then nobody can bother you. That's true. The magic headphones. Magic of audible books you didn't even know. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, check out www.audibletrial.com slash Fever. And we will be talking about this book again at the beginning of August because we're yes. working on putting together our rowing episode where we get into the Charles into a boat in the Charles River. We're not getting into the Charles River. That was a little Freudian. <laughs> <up there. laughs> not going to happen. You know, and I've been kayaking, but somehow rowing is different and scares me a little more. Hmm. Is it because they glide faster? I don't know. So we got a lot to do. I know. I've been, I've been getting ready with my <laughs> OFOD things. Excellent. Getting ready for rowing. All right, I will figure out some OFOD things. Well, we've got a lot to do, so we will leave you for the moment and get to it. Send us your Olympic Fever Olympic Day events. Get to reading a fabulous book, Boys in the Boat, Nine Americans and Their Epic Quest for Gold at the 1936 Berlin Olympics. I just like saying that a lot. Apparently. Because because you like the long titles. I do. (laughs) Long subtitles. 
I so, do like a subtitle. <laughs> and this is a doozy of one, so I guess we should say, that, say it as much as possible. We will see you back here next week with more Olympic stories. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at Olympfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Let's just say I've been cleaning out my house. <gasps> Ooh, and uh, there are Olympic surprises.